0: Thank you for listening to the Calgary Business Podcast. As host, I have had the privilege of meeting a number of individuals that have shared fascinating stories from their experiences in the pre-COVID, COVID, and now in the expanded COVID period. Out of 220 podcasts to date, many of my guests have highlighted their commitment to help a variety of charitable and social impact agencies. Examples of two such organizations that have recently stood out to me include First, the In From The Cold charity that Abir and Aya Al-Qadri from A to Z Liquidation support. They were my guests on episode 220. Second, the Brown Bagging for Calgary's Kids is just one charity that Matthew Andrade and his family business, Gentleman Rogue, are supporting. Matthew was my guest on episode 200. Take the time to consider donating to either one or both of these organizations. Brown Bagging for Calgary Kids can be found at bbck4.org, and In From the Cold has a unique website, onesmallgift.ca. Once again, thanks for listening to the Calgary Business Podcast. Have a great day and stay safe. Good
1: morning. Is that Jeremy? Yeah, it's, it's me. Hi, Alan. How are you?
0: Terrific. Jeremy Clark, welcome to Calgary Business Podcast.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: It's my pleasure. So today is uh, episode number 210. We got a nice round number for your, because I know you're a financial guy, so you like those round numbers.
1: Exactly. There's probably a lucky number in there somewhere, right? If we think hard enough.
0: <laughs> well, you know, I've had people add the three numbers together. This equals three, or maybe just say 21. I don't know. But uh, look, today it's a it's a nice cloudy day in Calgary. So Jeremy, I'm going to let you take the mic, the podcast mic, and introduce yourself and a little bit about CH Financial.
1: Yeah, sure. Thanks, Alan. Uh, So, I have been in this business for my 22nd year now. And I'm a neuroscientist by training, but never worked in that field. So, (laughs) at the age of, uh, I know we'll delve into that later, but uh, at the age of about 23 or 24, I started in this industry as an intern um and and now i'm president and ceo of the company and company basically does everything financial except for banking so that includes investments insurance tax uh wills and estates right uh, structuring succession planning things of that nature
0: i mean just i mean just on that the banking side because yeah as you know fintech is is pretty hot these days and i I, we won't talk about the investments just yet but is it you, you don't do banking? So do you you do you link your customers with a bank or do you have a relationship with a bunch of banks just on that? Yeah, note. we
1: have yeah, the the latter. We have a relationship with with a number of banks. So yeah. um wh- what we tend to do is, you know, most people are pretty comfortable with the bankers that they've had for for years. So uh we're happy to work with them. And really, um, and I think the banks will tell you this as well. A lot of the day-to-day banking and stuff like that is a is a fairly low margin activity. And so yeah you know, it it costs a lot to set up and, and, um, revenue is not that great. So we try to focus on everything else.
0: Was it you that was telling me it was like this kind of low hanging fruit that it's a lost leader and, and, but it's everything else they want.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, We really, the, the two things that the banks want, I think are, uh, lending products, obviously. So any kind of lending lines of credit mortgages, um, things like that, they, yeah. they did they quite well in those spreads. Foreign exchange, I would also include in that, they, they have a pretty decent cut of that market. Um, and then the investment management market is also quite lucrative for, for banks as well. So if you look sure. at their financials, uh, those are a lot of their, their drivers of profit.
0: Yeah, because if you just get the box, the retail box store, you know, if you just literally pre-COVID, even like last year, this time last year, I did an episode with CIBC Bank, episode like 33 or something like that, out in Chestermere. And it gives you an indication where I was in the podcast, but literally the bank wasn't very busy. Well, that was pre-COVID, right? You come in and it's kind of like it's, you're wondering if if anybody's working that day, I'm just taking, I'm not picking on them. I'm just like, wow, it's just an observation.
1: Yeah, and I I think the banks have an interesting model. Now, First of all, they control about 83% of the Canadian wealth management market. So clearly they're they're there to be reckoned with. And I think most of us Canadians, if you look at any kind of equity portfolio that almost always includes canadian banks they have great dividends very stable uh, ownership structures but when it comes to a client experience I, yeah. I think the independents like us if we do if we do it well uh have an advantage on the banks with that real you know long-term uh experience with each and every client
0: well i mean the client relationships are huge and it's a community right you've I I gotta ma- imagine after twenty. You said twenty three years.
1: Yeah, twenty two. Yeah,
0: twenty two. Yeah, I would say you you've got a lot of relationships. That's a, it, to me that would be a community, not just the one on one, but the group as a whole. Right? I mean, you've you foster relationships, and now you've generational. You you're passing on. You're probably bringing in the children of the the first few customers you had way back twenty two years ago.
1: Yeah, yeah, very much, and that's really interesting for us to work with. Is that next generation because. Generally, um, you know, anyone anyone under the age of 50 or even 45, I would say um, they probably have kids that are still reasonably young, Uh, they still have a mortgage, they probably have car payments. So we have to do a lot more budgeting, financial planning, uh, stuff that's really interesting, quite frankly. And it has a lot. It means a lot to them because we can really help them optimize their financial situation. So it's really interesting to work with people of, of that demographic.
0: That's pretty cool. I mean, you've broad strokes here and I don't mean to to veer off, but let's let's go back to the the genesis because you're a neuroscientist and you decided, oh, I don't want I'm going to study financial management, not the mind.
1: Yeah, exactly. Although it's funny, um, I do have a minor in in uh, psychology, which comes in handy each and every day in my current job. Right. right. <laughs> um, no, I, in all honesty, Alan, it was um, it was a situation where I was studying at a great school, McGill University, which I'm still very close to. I'm in, I'm at the school quite a bit. Yes. And and there's some really brilliant people there. And I was always more of a generalist. So when you're a generalist in a very specialized program. Uh, you sort of feel like a fish out of water. So I couldn't <laughs> quite understand what an applied career in science would look like. Right. So I made the rebellious step to just get out of science altogether, try my hand in something financial, really not knowing what that was at all. So when I got this job as an intern at what has become CH Financial, um, it was all new to me. You know, we were We were writing wills, doing financial plans, doing tax returns, buying and selling Literally. investments. Um, it was a it was a real um, tossed in on the deep end kind of education, but uh, it, it really was a, a function of the fact that I, I wasn't a particularly good scientist and I couldn't figure out an applied scientific career. But I will say that clients appreciate that attention to detail that comes with a technical degree. I think they really understand that we're not trying to work them or sell a particular product. Sure. The thing that we do is usually explained with math. Uh, and and hopefully with empathy as well. So I think no degree is wasted, and certainly I feel that I use that education uh, every day, although not in the, in the way that it was probably intended.
0: Well, I, and I wanted to touch on and as you know, life the focus on life science, and obviously with the COVID and the vaccination vaccines and things like that. But in particular, the last the trend I've seen over the last three to four years since I've been looking at venture capital space is the biosciences, life sciences. Those big venture capital companies tend to hire scientists, PhDs, you know, medical doctors to help them with their investments. And I, that's that's your area. Your expertise is in helping you know, your clients that that's the kind of thing. I don't know if that comes into play, but I mean, it's certainly it's a timely thing. If you were a life science coming out today, you probably have more opportunities.
1: Yeah, I, I think so. And I think even more broadly, a lot of um, students today, I was actually speaking with Alberta University of the Arts last week about a program right. they're working on. And schools these days, they're just craving any kind of mentor who can come in with a technical background who's also had a business career. They, they really like those, those kind right. of combination people because a lot of students don't really have a person to look up to who straddles both worlds.
0: No, that's interesting because I I go into, I'm going to give, I'm gonna I'm gonna give shout outs to a couple of my podcast guests recently. New Aurora, Pierre Wijeness, uh, you know, they literally came out of the PhD, their degree studying the brain. The other the other couple that were on Phil, Paul Addo and Beatrice Sanchez, they were on, and their there was again their PhD studies to carbon capture, CO two energy. So that and they're not they don't have a business degree, and I think Pierre said it best from Nuorora. He said. 10% is the research or 10 to 20% is the research and 80% is the commercial side.
1: Yeah. So which entails a lot of things, right? When you look at the commercial side of something, um, yeah. it's not just looking at spreadsheets and finding out a perfect solution because there ne- there never is a perfect solution. And so much of what I do. And I think business peers do is think creatively, try to collaborate with people and try to figure out, you know, where's the way forward here, either for a client yeah. or a situation or for a business. And and these are skills that aren't really taught in, in a lot of schools. And and a lot of it is just being in a profession where you have to use this stuff every day. Um, it's like I said earlier, it's really like sink or swim, where if, if you have to perform every day, it's amazing how quickly you can learn something and how flexible you can be.
0: Well, I guess let's talk about flexibility because... You know, COVID has forced a lot of businesses and you and I can talk, we can talk a little bit. We did talk a bit offline about your, your I guess, your investments and what you focus on. But that flexibility is really called a task. I don't know. Like, can you share anything where you've seen it in action in the last nine months?
1: Yeah, you know, certainly. Why don't we talk about our, our biggest holding as a firm uh, in terms of investments is real estate. And oh, okay. um, And a lot of North Americans have this mistaken idea that uh, the appreciation of real estate is where you make money in real estate. And generally, that's not true. If you go back even you know, 100 years of data and look at just the appreciation of real estate as in how much has it grown in North America, uh, most numbers that I've seen, it, it's right around inflation. So you're not doing that much better than inflation. Really? Yeah. But when you add in cash flow from real estate yeah. and that's yeah. our big thing is where do we generate cash? How do we generate cash? And here's a shift in the last nine months. If we looked at our overall real estate holdings, which is about a quarter of our portfolio, I would say nine months to a year ago, um, we were pretty heavy in, in office space, office leasing, uh, all right. the world, things like that. And of course, that's a market that's going to be challenged for not just in Calgary, but I think all over the place for the next few years. Yes. And yes. perhaps it's been permanently altered. So where we have shifted to in those portfolios are things like, warehousing distribution you know you look at all the goods and services that are moving now online shopping things of that nature Um, yes we're much more inclined to be in things like that another example is in the portfolio a year ago we had three or four airports around the world in that portfolio clearly those are going to be challenged as well and so we've shifted that money over to things like toll roads Um, people are driving more more short short duration trips so we still like that infrastructure type space but yep. we have to adjust based on the new the new reality during COVID and probably after.
0: But this is, I mean, this is almost I don't know what to call it, but this is really creative thinking on your part. And I guess you're recognizing the market. And is it, I mean, is it you sitting down with your team? Has it been the the global kind of people saying you you think tank what? What inspired that? Because I love these changes. These are This is incredible.
1: Yeah, so, so um, when I say we, we, I have, I have eight of us in the office here. We have a lot of partners we work with, accounting firms, investment firms. Yeah. Um, our main real estate position is with a company called CI Investments. So I have to give them a shout out on there. Oh, yeah. They started yeah. of Toronto. They've got a great real estate team. We've been with them for about 15 years now. Sure. And what, what also has happened during COVID uh, is Josh Vargas, who's the lead manager of that fund, um, along with Lee Goldman and and Kate McDonald, Josh has split off to, to start a CI-sponsored private real estate fund. And so right. this is even the next iteration of that, where when private real estate, you don't have the volatility of the day-to-day marketplace anymore, but you have that cash flow, which is really what we want. And so... Uh us working working with CI and then also working with John Harris and his team at dynamic funds, those are our two um real main real estate funds and exposures.
0: So did you see a trend early COVID that this was they, they were recognizing this? Because I, you know, again, if you think of a lot of podcasts or think, you know, people were they were the big C big CEOs, big companies, they oh we waited 30 30, 40 days, and then we realized this is more permanent. Was it something you saw as well, say with CI investments or dynamic funds?
1: Well, you, you see I and, you know nobody had a crystal ball here. I remember actually being out for dinner in Toronto in late February um, right. with, with with Josh Fargaze from CI. And that's, you know, people had been hearing about this COVID thing maybe for a couple or three weeks at that point. And yeah, and both of us, you know, good fortune tellers that we are, were like, uh, we think it's overblown, you know, it's going like, to be like stars. And uh, sure sure enough, we were wrong on that one. Um, sure. But I think what a good investment manager does is they recognize the situation that they're in and they say, what is our mandate here? And if our mandate is to generate cash flow, you know, we haven't been in, in Calgary office leasing in, in a while now. We haven't, you know, the, the airport exposure was reduced pretty quickly. And so, it's not like they predicted it in advance, but as soon as things started shifting, I mean, you look, that airport yeah, you position look. was probably unwound by by third week of March. That was gone. Um, yeah, and I guess that, because if you take the
0: public markets, they took a real hit. And then, I guess, was it a shift then? I guess you're taking funds out of one, one area, and then, as you said, they've shifted from airports into toll, is it
1: toll roads? Yeah, t- yeah toll roads, as an example. You know, you look at um, the Highway 407, which goes around Toronto. And a nice yes. arc around the north part of the city, um, that that is a fantastic investment. It's it's uh, very steady income, uh, even with people working from home. There's still a lot That's of true. people who use the 407. So th- so there's a great example of um, you know you you have Pearson Airport compared to the to 407. Uh, 407 is is a much better and steadier cash generating asset.
0: That's incredible. Well, I guess you you have to look think of what people where people where the I, I mean this is this is the kind of the attention of where media focuses or not media, but social media and where the attention, the eyeballs are. And that's where the advertisers are. In this case, yours is the other way. Who's paying, where, who's paying the toll? Yeah, exactly. And, wow. and, and here's,
1: here, and here's sort of a related point to that. If you look at until the past three or four weeks, I would say, a lot of the growth in, in the, in the broad marketplace has been in the so-called Fang stocks. So you have Facebook, yeah. you have Alphabet, um, Google, etc. Netflix. Yeah, and, and it's it, if you look at those companies, and we, I use all those products, uh, I, think, I think they're all great companies, but you look at the valuations and the cash flow being generated, and those are not good value investments at this point. And so, even if you like the companies and they're sexy and they're cool, they're in the news, what we can normally find is if we look, let's take Amazon, for example. If we drill down a level under Amazon, which is quite highly valued right now, you get a lot of their second and third tier distribution companies that we can pick up at pretty cheap prices that are generating really good amounts of cash flow. And nobody ever would have heard of these names before. Yeah,
0: no, I mean, and then, and the, they're, they're really mainstream now. Like if you take AWS, Amazon hmm. web services, say five, six years ago, maybe 10, I was, when I was working as a CFO and you would drill and you would see, you know, that they, would, they were storage companies, public companies would file, their documents and you, and you would see that little, you know, that little earl. that comes up when you, you know, when you click on a link and it would always come up as AWS. And I, that, that, when it, it struck me, then they're outside of, you know, their main area. And that was just, that was a storage cloud storage. Now it's way more, you know, evolved than that. That used to be a big part of their revenue, but it was always kind of hidden. So yeah, those, it's like you said, if you pull back the onion layer, you're going to find a lot more that no, most people don't know about. Yeah, and, and
1: AWS. I actually have a good friend who works there in Calgary, um, and and you look at some of the cash flow generated by that business. It's it's no wonder they wanted to go into that because you start getting into monthly and quarterly user fees, um, and, and I would say that is analogous to our business as well. If you look at percentage of assets, which is how we get paid, it's it's a sure. pretty steady uh, revenue stream, and. Is long, you know, if you take care of your customers and your clients properly, um, the the revenue keeps coming I, in. And I think AWS is a, is a is a great business, but a lot of it's based on having really good account managers, and you have sure. a, you have a lot of recurring revenue.
0: You know, it's interesting you say because the just again, I'm bringing on AWS again. I've had a couple of podcasts with tech startups here in Calgary, and if I take them as a you know, if you take the globe, they're like, oh yeah, we use AWS to tie in our back end. <laughs> So back to your point, there's a lot of tech users using that. Why do you think GitHub was? Per, you know, I think Microsoft paid 16 billion for GitHub. Yeah, I don't know if you know. Yeah, you know, I mean, that's that's that as you said, the user fees because GitHub is a repository for all the tech startups and in crypto, but also a lot of others. So um, it, there's no there's no doubt what you just said. Or, I mean, that that there's a lot of credibility what you said. Yeah, and if
1: you look at uh, why don't we take a local example? Uh, I don't know if you you know Moody's Gardner, the, the tax firm. I believe it's just called Moody's right now. But no, Kim Moody know. is a very interesting guy, a CA, brilliant guy, and and very good. Oh, I know the Kim, uh, that Kim that's a chartered yeah, accountant. Okay, exactly. And yeah. if, if you go to their website now, it's interesting what they're doing. I sort of, you know, you want to poke around and look to see what people are up to. And uh, yeah. if you look at what Moody's doing right now, they basically have gone from the old hourly rate sort of you eat what you kill kind of accounting firm. And, and if, you, if you look at what they're doing now, they, they basically have three levels of plan from sort of like bronze to gold. And the client pays a monthly or quarterly user fee, whether they use the service or not. And basically what you're yeah. buying is a bundle of services, which even the cheapest package is thousands of dollars a month. And so, to, I mean, it, it's. I think it's a great model provided that you're providing that top level of service. And I think-
0: But he needs a brand. I mean, to what you, you know, if I take the, the typical accountant out there, or tax advisor, if he doesn't, if there's no brand, you don't get, you cannot bundle that. And I'm just saying typical, even from a, if you take a tech perspective, if you have no brand, nobody's aware of it, it's really difficult to go out and say, I'm going to charge you that, you know, that the three levels. So yeah, so.
1: exactly. And I, and I think, you know, and it, and it took Kim Moody- I would say probably better part of 20 years to build that brand. But now that he has it, he, you know, yeah. I, I think it's, it's a good model. He has there.
0: No, no, it's fantastic. So, cause when you said, when you said, you said
1: Moody's garden, Moody's, Moody's oh, gardener. Um, I think, <laughs> you know, it's, it's had a couple of different iterations, uh, but it was Moody's yeah, garden. It might, it might very well be, be just Moody's right now.
0: No, because I remember like I'm going back. I, I was gone away out of the city for almost 20 years. But I do remember Kim Moody's Chartered CPA or CA service. I that remember that sign. That yeah, I think I ago. think if
1: you're talking 20 years ago, because my wife actually worked for them about 20 years ago with <laughs> Moody Shikazi Boulet back then. So MSB.
0: Yeah, <laughs> that's it. That's pretty. It's, it's amazing. So look, your name, so CH Financial. You're going to tell me the real name, but when I saw it, I was thinking the Swiss banking. You know, because CH, as you probably know, that's the symbol. The Latin symbol for uh, yeah, exactly. It, it's
1: also the uh, symbol for the Montreal Canadiens. So we, <laughs> you know, the, 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 the the like Canadian uh, So you look at it on the on the Montreal Canadian sweater it says C in the middle. Um, but where the name came from is uh, about thirteen years ago or so, fourteen years ago. My former partner and I. So my last name was Clark. That's the C. Her last yep. name was Hetherington. That's the H. And it was Clark yep. Hetherington Financial. And then when I when I purchased her shares about two years ago, I rebranded it as, as CH. So we got rid of the names and it just became CH Financial, which I think is a little easier to remember, not as long, and uh, it allows us to, you know, to look at sort of the next generation of growth. So it's it's Clark and Hetherington is the answer.
0: So the, yeah, no, I knew that because I, I I did the I did a little bit. You don't take it doesn't take long. You go to your LinkedIn profile and you just yeah. go down a little bit. Wait a minute. Okay, so CH. But to to that point. Did you, is Parker, because I know Parker PR team, you mentioned during our offline chat, but they, you know, I can't remember the name, but there's, you know, the Park Jamie from PR Parker or Parker PR, they've, they're helping you out now. Is that, is that a shift as well because of your name change? It it, it is.
1: Yeah. So over the years, largely Clark Hetherington. And before that it was called Waddell and Associates, which started about 32 years ago. So you have Waddell, you have Clark Hetherington and those businesses grew totally organically and and they grew they grew pretty nicely but up until about two years ago we didn't even have a website which is odd for for a business in this day and age so no website no social media no pr it was it was like a private club and our feeling is not only it's every business wants to grow and, and of course we do as well but i think there's a real opportunity to educate and empower canadians in terms of financial matters and so when you look at our website it's not just this proprietary, private club, only certain people can get in. Uh, there's a lot of good content there that really educates people. You know, what, What's an RRSP, RESP? How do you compare an RSP to a TFSA? And that's what Parker is being very helpful with, not only getting us in front of some potential clients, but sure. also educating and empowering Canadians in general about financial matters.
0: You know, I, let's go back to your, the, the generational thing, because you mentioned a little bit about some of the kids. I, mean, I mentioned it, but the kids. One of my, my podcast guests was Flamingo Investments, and it's a students out of the, uh, Mount Royal. And, you know, they're doing fractional. They're, their goal is to do fractional shares so you can buy, invest $5. But the big beauty, in my view, is the education side. Getting the Gen Zs, the, the even tweens, 8- to 10-year-olds, taking their allowance money or taking the, you know, investing, educating, because why wait until you get to university when you can read, uh, like I did, I didn't learn how to read the financial, the financial times or the, you know, the, the, the paper of investments until I was in university. And so that education process can start a lot earlier. I don't know if you, what your view is. on Um,
1: Certainly. And I think I, I would say we have to do that because if you look at what's happened to the marketplace, and I and I talk to to millennials and the next generation all the time, and most of them yeah. have a simple or Quest Trade account. Those ads you see are, are super powerful in terms of why do you need a stodgy old advisor? You can do this yourself. Uh, <laughs> I love
0: I love that one where the guy the Quest Trade. You're not still using yeah, you ads don't, guy are you? And he's, I ask people that.
1: there at events all the time. And I'll say, how many people think this is a bad thing? And and probably about 10% of hands go up and 90% think it's a good thing. But the way it's presented and to be honest, yeah. the, the arrogance that our industry has traditionally had about information, basically saying the all-powerful advisor will be the dispenser of information and the client will just do what we say. That was well, like this. Charles Schwab.
0: When Charles was it? Charles Schwab. When when he talks, everyone listens. Yeah, exactly. Now,
1: it, uh, th- let me just say with Schwab, he he probably has one of the best discount brokerages out there right now. However, right, they still have their very their very high margin full service advisory too. And if, and if you look at sure. who's the, who's the money behind a lot of these businesses, Wealthsimple is owned by Power Power Corp, which is one of the biggest financial companies in Canada. They also well,
0: that's... Uh, well, the Demeray Demeray Demeray
1: they own Sonnyville. half the insurance industry in Canada. They own Mackenzie Financial, which is a client of theirs. So yeah. it's not that, like this all or nothing robo proposition. They're, what they're basically doing is using that as a feeder for people to then get full pay, full service advice down the road. Um, so so when I look at this, I'll say, I, I, my opinion on it is whatever technology we have, and we've got a really robust technology offering... Whatever way a client wants to interact with us, we want to facilitate that. Traditionally, you got a 70 or 80-year-old client. They love coming in once a quarter for an hour, hour and 15 minutes, face-to-face. A lot of millennials don't want that. They want a few more touch points. They want way better access to info at their fingertips. But they do want reach-outs here and there. I have yet to meet a young client who says, I'm totally capable of doing this myself. And I don't want a financial professional anywhere around. That's not what they're saying. What they're usually saying is you guys have got paid too much over the years to do too little in their opinion. And I don't need you if you're going to be charging me that much. So we've had to become a lot more flexible in our pricing structure as well. And the way that we disseminate information and help people.
0: Well, I think and it, it speaks to where you're going. And I, you know, hats off to the Parker PR team and yourself or your partners and your team recognizing this. And it's not about put up a website and hope they come or put up a nice social media thing. You've got, we can touch on some of the things you're doing with CH Academy and CH giving. But for me, when I, you know, that, that target is that millennials are the Gen Z's, the real up and comers. So, and I'm going to, I'm going to tell you this. I listened to a podcast with Gary Vaynerchuk and he said he was, he was talking about social media and it's not for me. Literally, people say it's not for me or this isn't for me, and it was a financial planner in the U.S. I don't. It was on his book called Crushing It, and he, she said she started using social media. It was a few years ago. I started using uh, in, as a financial planner, and the, the, my members, the society members, cringed. I was getting hate mail. I was getting all. This was a couple of years ago, right? So I think that that mantra has changed the stigma, but the stigma is still there. As you said there there's a funnel to get you into the big power machine, right? But literally, those kids want information, but they want to do their yeah own.
1: exactly. And and I think we can we can actually accommodate both worlds. If you look at the traditional world and the more modern world, I think if we do this right, yeah. and and we and we listen and we're responsive to people, I think we can we can straddle both of those worlds because ultimately, what we're trying to do is make everyone's financial position sustainable. I don't think anyone w- would dispute that. Uh, and a related point, which I made earlier, is people still need to generate passive income. So at some point you're not going to work full time anymore. Even if you're 25 and you think you're going to work forever, you probably won't. And you have to have stuff that generates income for you, even if you are not working. And that takes me right back to real estate, dividend paying stocks, currencies, things of that nature. People are going to need cash flow from their investments, whether you're 25, whether you're 85, that's still a true statement
0: but that i guess that that mix as you to your point the covid mix or the covid change you you have to pivot you have to be active as well Not maybe not you but some of the financial managers have to be very active to make sure that that dividend distribution stock doesn't go bankrupt right because they they, they pay out dividends or the buyback buy and I, you know the buyback buying back shares it only benefits a few if you have a lot of shares i mean just it, it's is that really? That's that's what a lot of big companies have done over the years, and now suddenly that cat—they suddenly need the cash flow, and they're, they're laying off. Yeah, yeah,
1: you know, th- that's that could be a whole other uh, other podcast. I find it very interesting. Like even if you compare Air Canada and WestJet right now, um, Air Canada probably booked yeah. to get a government bailout of some sort. It seems like, uh, but WestJet's a private company now, owned by.
0: Yeah. Onyx. Yeah. And if like you look at ago, Onyx, I
1: believe there's still, and I know a couple of senior folks there, uh, they are the biggest employer in Canada in terms of all their affiliated companies. I believe they have over 200,000 employees, but wow. Private company. And for me, and I think for you as well, looking look as capitalists at heart, if you, if every company gets taken private, if we take this to its extreme, that's not capitalism. That That's the, that's arguably almost the opposite of capitalism where everyone has their own little private thing. Capital is really, or capitalism is the access to capital markets and there has to be that balance between private and, and public, but it's not always the best thing. And, you know, to your point, share buybacks, companies going private, it benefits a few and uh, that that's, uh, there has to be a better balance than, than just taking something private, I think.
0: Yeah, I, I only thought of it when you because I'm only thinking of the cash flow. You hear a lot of, and I, you know, I don't want to whinge on the whole markets and every, but I just think, you know, when the good the times are good, people are happy to to take the, you know, take that benefit. But when times are bad, they look to the government for bailout. And I'm like, wow, um, the government can't do everything. The government can only yeah, do exactly. Everything. So there's got to be some kind of There's got to be a balance, and I'm and I'm not here to, to knock on that. I just think to your point here, you you've shifted immediately. The CI investments guys, the dynamic funds, they've done the shift. Is everyone else making that shift? You know, I listened to a podcast from Reed Hoffman, and he talked about the entrepreneur. So and this is the World War II thing. He said, World War II, massive stimulus infrastructure. He said, what you need is a World War II plus, and the plus is entrepreneur. You need to put money into the entrepreneurs and entrepreneur initiatives. Yeah, I, 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 I totally
1: called. agree. Uh, years ago, and it's funny, I, was, I, was, I saw a couple of old pictures the other day from about 12 years ago. Uh, I happened to be at McGill. I was giving a speech one night and it, honestly, some of these corporate events, you go from event to event and you, you know, you're not really sure what the event is before you walk in. Well, um, I should have known <laughs> one because there's the security everywhere in this particular building. I got to introduce yeah. Muhammad Yunus to a group of McGill people. So Muhammad Yunus, microcredit oh, guy the, um... and, and Nobel prize yeah. winner, a uh, super prominent guy from, from Bangladesh. And
0: yeah, Bang- Yeah, that's the... um uh, The Grameen, Grammy, the Grameen Bank. Trust. So
1: he is basically credited being the father of microcredit, which gave small loans to, to very, very poor people who banded yes. together. Uh, and I think that's an amazing yes. model. So when I look at... at where What I'm really excited about is in developing countries which are just getting a taste of capitalism, uh, I think the possibilities there are just huge. And there's so many countries in the world that are, I would say, undercapitalized. And as they have access to credit, as they want to better their lives, to your point, what, what they're really banking on is entrepreneurs, as opposed to just handing people money. And let's look at a country like Venezuela, yeah. where that, that's that gone horribly awry by doing that. You really want to empower entrepreneurs. And I, so I totally agree with, with what Reed Hoffman is saying. And I, and I think strong government policy will continue to do that.
0: Yeah, I mean, we, I mean I'm not here to talk politics, but when you talk there was another podcast I listened to, Andreessen Horowitz, and they talked about they were giving money to uh in Australia for people with uh to do home renovation loans. So home renovation incentives. So one, it assumed that you owned a home, two, it assumed you had the cash flow to dole, to go and get that credit. And so th- their point was if you're gonna just dole out cash, why don't you do it in a broader, on a broader level, not spraying prey more you know, real targeted programs. And it was kind of on that
1: vein. of Yeah, exactly. If you look and, and no, no government is, is perfect. And I, and being a politician, I think it would be a very, very difficult job, whatever the political party. Yeah. But if you look at now, a lot of the, the stories coming out about, about CERB, CERB and, you know, people getting it who weren't yep. entitled to it. They just, you know, they used it to do some home renovations or buy some stuff that they didn't need. It's, there's always going to be abuses in programs like that. and, and it's unfortunate because I think if if you really have a strong safety net, which helps people who are mentally or physically impaired and you encourage entrepreneurs, um, that, that both of those are really good uses of government funds, but just handing out money willy nilly for whatever purpose uh, th- that can certainly be taken advantage of.
0: Yeah. You know, I want to go back to just real quick on the Grammy trust. There was a, it was a, pot. it was uh, a woman who spoke from uh, mic Ma- Ma- uh, Mastercard does the They do a whole thing for sustainability in overseas overseas. And I can't remember the name of the program, but literally I do remember the story. So it was a woman in a small in India and she wanted a loan and they said, no, no, you can't. So literally the banks told her, no, 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 you can't. You know, the husband has to come. (laughs) So she said, the husband has to come. And she said, look, I'll tell you, I make all the decisions on, and there was a small, like real small loan they wanted, I think. And she said, I make all the decisions on the, on the, what's, what spends in the house. So she said, okay. Here's some numbers. He he gave did a math question for her. She spit it out and you know really quickly. He goes, "Okay, you'll get the loan." And it was some. I I might be badgering the story, but it was to the point of making sure you know the getting that that small loan. And she went back and bought a cow or whatever. Yeah,
1: exactly. A lot of what those models are based on. I know that Grameen Bank was based on this. Is the the community the communal power of women? And and I think if if you combine this striving to have a better life with the the communal power of women banding together. And I I think really the untapped power of women all over the world, it's, it's, that's where this is a really powerful model because if you look at the repayment rates of those loans and what they're usually based on is let's say you have eight or 10 or 12 friends, usually women in one of these networks that there's this peer pressure reinforcement. And if one of them is getting, getting in trouble with their loan, the others tend to help them out and it promotes good behavior and the, and the repayment rates are, are way higher than you would think, uh, and 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 Doctor Yunus, when he was describing that night, was was saying, their initial model, they would have been happy if half the loans were paid back, and in reality, it it it, w- it was much higher than that, and it continues to be.
0: Yeah, I mean, this the well, fact that you actually got to meet him is is fantastic, because I mean, I I heard about them along my days in Tajikistan working, you know, and the micro you know microfinance and USA. USAID and all those. You know, well, a yeah. lot of times
1: people ask me, why do I get so involved with philanthropy? Because we're involved with, with McGill, with the police foundation, with the Philharmonic yep. uh, school lunch programs, things like that. And there's a, there's a real societal benefit to a lot of this. But some of the cool things are things like, you know, like, like meeting Muhammad Yunus, uh, who literally was just one item on my schedule that day. And I just, I remember walking up on the stage and there two or 300 people in front of me. Uh, I was thinking, this is incredibly cool. I've sure. even been in a room with this guy. <laughs> Never mind introducing them.
0: You know, and so this morning I think switched gears a little bit. But that that that's uh, the rise of social impact investments is really has been prevalent these the last few years. But just this morning I read the beta beta kit, and TELUS is I think they started a hundred million dollar fund. Yes, exactly. Fund. Yeah. So I mean that that's you know, and then even the the head of um, the former oh I can't think of the. the Bank of Canada, U.S. Oh, UK Mark Mark, Mark Bank Carney. England. Yeah. Now he's working. Yeah, so Mark Carney's now working with Manuel. Is it Manuel Brookfield? Yeah, field? I can't. One of the two. Yeah. So you know, so that's a real. It's a global shift, but it does take that kind of level, like that top down, to really make an impact. A lot of times, I mean, you're working. Let's let's talk about some of the things you're doing. CH Academy. What's that about? Maybe so CH Academy you're is you're actually now a trademark
1: system. name, which is great. So now we could add that little TM beside it and. What it really is is over the years. Yeah, um, my parents were very philanthropic. Uh, they did a lot of work with soup kitchens, Habitat for Humanity, re- real like grassroots on the ground causes. And so that that was my education from a really right. young age, and, and helping helping others out. As I got a bit older, I still kept doing those things, but I also wanted to add on, you know, more board involvement, bigger dollar donations, um, things of that nature. So over the years, I've had quite a few really good mentors, a lot of them much older than me, but I've learned a lot from them. And um, and now I try to mentor some younger folks and what it means to be a philanthropist and to really help your community. So CH, CH Academy was really born out of how do we educate people? And CH giving is kind of a related component, but how do we educate people and empower them talking about being a good citizen and then also how do we educate them, and empower them about financial matters. And if you look at financial matters that can permeate right. almost anything. So the CH giving CH Academy sort of two sides of the same coin, one, educating people about community and one about finances.
0: You know, it's interesting. You talk about community and, and I've had this discussion even yesterday, you know, I don't know my neighbors and one of my, one of my, um, my podcast guest was Kevin LaFontaine and he works with Calgary, the police, not Calgary police, but the, 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 yeah. the, the community watch. Remember the old community? Watch? I, I can't remember the name, but the community watch. but it's like, where's the community? You used to see those signs everywhere. The community watch. Or, I can't remember what it's called, but that security, you know, that kind of that element, we don't know our neighbors and the community is lost. I don't know how you get that back because it's, we have such a, you know, non-transient population. We have a, New population. Yeah, and, and I'm concerned uh,
1: too. If you look at the longer-term impacts of, of COVID, uh, that might be something that's even more difficult going forward. If people are just generally reluctant to go and even just just say hi to someone and be in close quarters with them, so you know, I I agree, it's, yeah. and and I'm guilty of that as well. Not not really knowing my neighbors, and and it's yeah, it's 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 it's, it's certainly different than it was probably 20, 30, or 50 years ago in, in that regard.
0: No, we because we're talking about because when we lived overseas, we we did know our neighbors, and it was very it was a tight community because you all kind of had this shared, you know, being overseas, and so it was very robust socially. And to recreate that, it's it's you do have to create you have to. I mean, COVID, as you said, you, people are kind of already being social distant. Yeah. They were distant before COVID. They were the, <laughs> the neighbors were distant, so the the block block parties or the you know the you know, community block parties that's God.
1: I mean, maybe it's not God, yeah. but. Yeah. Uh, I, 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 I was like, well, one point I wanted to, I want to make on that. It's uh and I'll write i I'll write a book about this one day, but all of the, the Jeremy Clark <laughs> philosophy of work, I think, and I'm guilty of this too, is you you have such a busy schedule. You're working so hard. Uh, when I get home, sure. If I see a neighbor, like let's say it's eight o'clock at night, I'm just, I'm tired. I come in the door. The last thing I want to do is talk to somebody <laughs> who's just wanders up to me. Um, but if you yeah. do that enough times, you don't really know your neighbors. So my model of work is, and I have a 98 a year old client who does this very well. Still, he still works a bit. But if you could work four to six hours a day in something you liked for your whole life, it, that would be a cool model of work because then you'd have plenty of time to, to do other. Work. And you can go talk to your neighbors because you're not up. you're not working full time ever. So.
0: So, okay, if you're going to write this book, Jeremy, your picture has to be, if you remember Tooltop, yeah. uh, Wilson, the neighbor, you have just his eyes of the fence line. That's your, that's your picture. I will. Get, that's that's get a great picture. That's, that's really good. With that. <laughs> you know, because you didn't know your neighbor. You just knew you talked to him every day over the fence. That is, I mean, it's iconic. For me, that's a classic, Who, you, how you talk to your neighbor. Exactly. It's kind of distant, exactly. but you're there. So... So CA's given. you've talked about, I like something. So the food, food for lunch. Program, yeah, we, we got involved with that evolving? through the
1: police foundation few years ago and it was, it's breakfast and lunch programs. Um, and, and you can imagine with things like that, economies of scale work in your favor. So the amount of nutritious food um, you, you can, you can donate is just incredible when you harness that buying power. So uh through the Police Foundation, uh, and then also uh, Brown Bag for Kids is another is another one that we and some of our, our colleagues support. So I think that's just a, that's you know I, yeah. I personally I believe that having nutrition is a, is a basic human right, and a lot of people unfortunately don't don't have access to that. So anything we do to help in that regard, we like to do.
0: You know, I had I had Matthew Andrade, I don't know if you know Matthew from uh, he was he yes, works yeah. over at the workland and he but he also has his little side gig called gentleman rogue and from that they you know he, he shared the story with one of his 10 year old son and they were literally like so dad if we give two dollars a day and then they kind of did the math while they're driving from hockey practice and he literally said yeah so by the end of it, it was like, well, we can get four hundred dollars a month whatever it's, and, and feed how many kids so it was kind of like they went through this whole iteration and i don't know if it's brown Bagging, but it's a very similar lunch program and he said there are 4000 4, to 5000 kids in calgary alone yeah. that don't get and, heart and heart.
1: unfortunately and when we were getting involved with the police foundation um they have, they just they have tons of stats on all these behaviors being hungry leads to inattention in school and normally leads to acting out in an angry way because you're hungry right and so a lot of these per- these problems start yeah. to spin where you get the cycle of domestic violence starts with you know young young boys they don't have proper role models, they lash out, and it just spins in a really bad, bad circle.
0: You know, and I, I did share with Matthew, the story when I worked in Tajikistan, so the education, the program with the World Bank was, they were giving cash to families to get the kids to school, because they didn't have food, they didn't have clothing. One was, so cash was food for food, clothing, and books, because One thing is, you know, and if you go to India, you talk about access, it's equal access now to education. But if you don't have proper clothing, you don't have proper food, you're going to be embarrassed to go to school. You're not even going to go, you know, if you don't have all the the tools. So they would give cash. The World Bank actually just gave cash, literally doled out cash and showed with passports Mm -hmm. and everything that they received the cash, you know, as opposed to going to an organization. And, you know, that's got its own. uh... But anyway, so, so the McGill... I, I know the one last thing I want to talk about was your your Calgary Philharmonic. So you've worked with I have with worked it. with the Philharmonic worked with for them?
1: probably, well, over 10 years, perhaps even 15. I've been on on the foundation, the CPO Foundation Board, for almost 10 years. And I've been president for three years. Um, right. But more broadly, uh, my, my wife and I started a donor program called Club Mozart, which encourages sort of middle-aged philanthropists. Oh, and then uh, I, I do it. a lot of the pre-concert talks yeah. as well so i actually do a lot of inter- i'm the interviewer on a lot of these where i'm on a stage with an audience and guests and no script and it's it's just it's like stand-up comedy it's uh it's you terrify yourself to grow but i really and i'm not a musician at all i just became immersed in this over the years and and it's such a an yes. under appreciated gem in 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 calgary is this great philharmonic orchestra we have
0: You know, speaking about the this whole side of it was one of my guests, was Derek yep. Mance from, from I don't know if you know Stagehand Live. So Derek, he, you know, he's not a, I, I don't really, I don't even know his profession, but he's he created this app, this uh, you know basically a marketplace to bring performers because he said his my daughter's growing up in the uh, the performing arts and there was just no he noticed there was this sort of a white space or this gap in a lot and getting finding gigs to get people that are you know philharmonic or you know real it's all over i don't know the gamut i'm not i haven't done a deep dive but that's you know that's an important part of of the 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 pro the calgary as a whole but just in general getting access if you're a musician or an artist how do you get yeah absolutely my my sister's
1: actually uh, a musician in toronto and has been for her whole career and that is the essence of being an artist unfortunately whether you're in performing arts whether you're a musician um Unless you somehow get lucky and you're the top one percent of one percent of one percent, uh, a lot of or most other folks are going from gig to gig. And if there was a way to really systematize that, I think it would help a lot of people. Well, democratize
0: it, you know democratizing technology puts it in the hand where you know it the dollar it was called the dollar of analog and pennies of di- digital. That was sort of the that was a shift twenty years ago. And I, they're using that today in ed tech. They're talking about in, in, in health tech, you know, democratizing that, democratizing this, allowing performers to get online, not worrying through the gatekeeper. Yeah, you said one. And, and no way, unfortunately, 100%. there's
1: multiple right. gatekeepers, so whatever's filtering down to the artist uh, isn't yeah. usually a heck of a lot.
0: You're right, but if they, if they become, this goes to the point of, and this is a different issue we can talk about, but the branding and awareness, Moody's isn't going to set up a shingle called Moody's Garden and get people to pay top dollar for a suite of services yeah. if they don't know about it. So, you know, the internet has democratized that and how they find that social media. And back to my, the, my point about that financial planner, suddenly on social media, getting people's attention. You want to get attention of the young kids? Where are they? They're on they're on some app, right? And why the proliferation of TikTok? And I say TikTok would work would work somewhere in, in you, you know your group here, in social media. Get attention to the young, not as a dancer, but as education. Then funnel them over to your your LinkedIn, and that you're still not working with Dad's guy, are you? Yeah, know? exactly. You to have that together, working <laughs> together. <laughs> so look, I I really I think there's a the fascinating stuff that you're doing. The ch given you've touched on it. Is there anything else? you I well, just want to say thanks again to today, for uh,
1: for for taking the time. Um, I I I appreciate the chance to to spread the message of what we're doing, and I I think my overall point would be there's there there's never a right or wrong time to to start thinking about financial planning, thinking about investing. Um, thinking about getting a will done. There, there's lots of things that se- that are seemingly complicated, but if you're working with a good advisor and somebody who cares about you, they can really help you navigate these things and, and make it as simple as possible so you don't have to be worrying about this stuff all the time. I think ultimately that's what we, if we're good advisors, that's what we're being paid to do is, is, is keep people on track yeah. and alleviate their worry as much as we can. And, and that's really what our mandate is. You know, speak, I'm, you just said
0: the will. I just listened to a podcast last week and they were talking about a startup and it's called Free Will. And and it's literally a legal tech where they're, you know, they'll do the really, I think it's out of the UK, but it's just a, you know, bring it to the basics online, doing do your own will, but giving that advice, making it real easy. So, yeah, no, I, I like that. I like that really? That's, not, that's a, the summary. So, Jeremy, now you now have a website. You've got a you've got yeah, media. yeah on instagram your on linkedin
1: instagram, is that right um and then and then like i said the site as well is a pretty good resource too
0: well and i like the way you i i do that's because i found your ch academy and, and ch giving so i think it's a good platform and you've got the media link on there i think uh, hats off to the parker pr team and yourselves for putting that together because it's yeah, kind of, yeah, exactly, and kind I do of, have to give a shout out to Parker,
1: early. run by my good friend Ellen Parker. It's 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 a fantastic firm. It's they're very community minded, like we are. And I think if you can balance running a running a good business with being community minded, um, ultimately, I think it's what we're that's what we're striving to do. And I think Parker does a, a great job of that too.
0: Well. Jeremy, I'm going to leave it there. And thank you so much for joining. Yeah, today. thank you. Thank you, Alan. And thanks for, for all
1: you do for the course community course. as well. I appreciate it. Yeah, you got it. <laughs> one,
0: one podcast at a time. You too. Take care. All right, Jeremy, have a great day Bye. and stay safe.